Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you so much for watching. I just want to say thank you real quick to everybody who has made this possible. I'm continually humbled every single time I come down here and I sit in this studio that people who who just want to be kind and generous made every single bit of all of this happen. Every bit of it. And so I'm so thankful and grateful um, and forever humbled um, that anybody, <laughs> anyone would ever do that. It, it, I just want to say thank you again for those of you who, who support this endeavor, um, which is just a drop in the ocean of information on the earth that, that hopefully just lands with someone somewhere. And I thank you for watching. So what we're talking about is afflicting ourselves, the purpose of Day of Atonement, the purpose of Yom Kippur. And so basically what we have covered to review just in a tiny bit is we talked about the difference of, of, of Hebrew words used in the text, Leviticus 16 to be specific, that it does not say that it is a day of fasting specifically. It doesn't say that this is to be a fast day and that's all you do. And if you do that, you've accomplished the purpose and you move on into tabernacles. In fact, what it says is this word anah, which I want to just drive home into your minds and into your memories of anah, anah, anah. Humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. Afflicting ourselves. Again, the proper understanding of afflicting ourselves because religions all over the world have affliction-based thinking where you some look, well, let's just talk crazy, self-mutilation and ridiculousness and you know, let's be careful we're not inserting that distorted and perverted understanding into this. In fact, we're talking about somewhat the opposite because we're talking about a complete self-denial, a complete taking our eyes off of ourselves and looking upon what we're going to talk about, hopefully in this part two here, about our great high priest and his awesome, incredible work on our behalf. And so we talked about the difference between fasting and afflicting ourselves um, again, to expand our understanding towards what we are to do, um, if anything, on this day of atonement, Yom Kippur. And so we're going to talk about, I'm going to fly through these slides super fast. Whoa, not too fast. Okay, so that was too fast. <laughs> so we said that we ended part one with this. If we can determine that day of atonement is not merely about fasting alone, well, then what do we do? What, what are we supposed to do? And what is the expanded understanding of this Hebrew word, anah? What is it really about? And so that's what I want to suggest to you today. And I believe, I believe again, if we stick to the Scripture alone, I believe that this is what we are to do. And again, this is something that I will add is something that I believe is specific unto this day, this feast day and is equally something that we do every single day of our lives. We're not talking about humbling and afflicting ourselves a day a year. We're talking about doing it on a marked day that, again, this is the Feast of the Lord, the Feast of Yahweh Elohim. It's, it's, it's His. And it's something we also live out every single day of our lives in the beautiful atoning work of Yeshua Messiah. And we'll talk about that probably in this part here in great measure. So if memorializing Yom Kippur is not merely about fasting, what would it be? I would suggest it's all about two primary things. 
primary things, okay? Because we could study on this and find all these little offshoots of this like we can every single thing in the Scriptures. But if we're going to stick to it specifically, I believe it's about these two primary things. First one, I believe it's primarily, number one, our voluntarily humbling ourselves under Yahweh's authority in His will. His will, His way, period. No questions asked, not I don't like that, not I don't believe that, not I don't agree with that, not why that. Yes and amen. Again, as we established in part one clearly, I believe, from the first mentioned principle, the first onset of Anah is Abraham talking about a servant-slave-sojourner mentality, where this is what you do when you are a servant and a slave, and there's a master whose authority you are under, you Anah. Which is why I believe this is about, number one, our voluntarily humbling ourselves under the authority of Yahweh Elohim. And number two, the wonderful work of the great high priest. Because I want to make this very clear. This is, and we'll get to that as well in, in upcoming parts, maybe even within this one here. We'll expand it a little bit is what I'm saying. This has very little to do with us. <laughs> because I want to get this point across, like, if, if there is any understanding that's right within the Broadway Christian doctrine, there is a resting to be in. Yes and amen. There is a resting to receive and to reside in. The wonderful work of the great high priest and, and on Yom Kippur, the beauty of it is, as what we will get to, is that you stay home and receive the extensive work of the great high priest. And so there is a resting to be in. Yes and amen, of course. So voluntarily humbling ourselves and the wonderful work of the great high priest, I would believe, is the, is the main two things. All right, so let's see. Has very little to do with us. And what we do or don't do. We're not trying to earn anything. We're not trying. And that's the thing we got to get through our heads, our, our, our hard-headed Christian doctrine that, again, always exalts ourselves above everyone who preceded us. We're so much better, we think, in this finished work reality. If they only knew what we knew. Well, yes, and, man, if we only understood and knew what they understood and knew, right? We have to get the full. Again, Yeshua came and exalted everything and expanded it, not eradicated and replaced, but again, he exalted and expanded everything that preceded. And so, it's not so much about what we do or don't do, okay? Just to be clear. To make that point, Leviticus 16.30 says what? On this day of atonement, it shall be made for you. It, this shall be made for you. There is a work going on with the high priest then with an individual going into a physical place to do things, <laughs> to carry out exercises of atonement on your behalf. Likewise, now, and I use this word when I taught this over the weekend, is there is a passivity role. This is a passive role in the sense of our action is self-denial. Our action 
is willingly lowering ourselves to the ground, if you will, in humility to say, I am a servant, I am a slave, you are master. And I've got no problem with that. I've got no problem with that. I'm not fighting for my own will, my own way. I will humble myself. So we're going to connect what was with what is. Knowing that scriptures are pretty clear that the high priest accomplished all of the work, if you will, the people stayed home keeping a Sabbath of solemn rest. They made an offering by fire at their residence. They didn't go to Jerusalem or anything. There wasn't this big ordeal of traveling and taking something to the city and doing this and performing this and presenting this. No, they're at home merely recipients of the priestly work on their behalf, okay? And we see that with what we just read, atonement shall be made for you, okay? See the imagery. All right, let's do that. The children of Israel, they anah as the high priest made atonement. They humbled themselves. They lowered themselves and said, we are servants and slaves which submit ourselves to the authority of Yahweh as the high priest went into the most holy place and made atonement for the people. Now, we today, in Yeshua Messiah, our great high priest, we, Anah, as the great high priest, made atonement for us. That's what the beauty of understanding what preceded, is when we understand all that took place and all that was being accomplished, for the, for the people, by the work of the high priest, and only then do we really begin to understand the beautiful work of the mediator Messiah and all that he accomplished to make atonement for you and for, for me. Um, I want to drive home the point that, that the proper understanding of this day seems to be that we lower our wills, we lower our identities, and we're going to use some scripture here in a few minutes to, to drive that home. I love how the Bible gives us every single, every single thing times 20 that we need to understand these things. To surrender our very identities as servants of the Most High. And we rest in the beautiful work of, of, of High Priest Yeshua. He is, our, he is our hope. He is our confidence. He is our our dependence, the high priest, is doing something I can't do. He is interceding for me, and what he does is sufficient. Dean by who? The master. The master said, this is how it's going to work. He gave us a high priest man, and he gave us a high priest God man. It's beautiful. It's awesome. So, the, the for now purpose is... And we're going to move into uh, a next part here, okay? Because I think this is awesome. So we've looked back a little bit. We just barely touched on the high priest, just from what we just read and what we're looking at on the screen just previous. You know, there was atonement made for the literal people who stayed home, kindled a fire, and humbled themselves. Anah. And then today we do the same. We we do the same. <laughs> And, and so we look back, we looking, we're looking at today, and now I want to move us kind of mentally into a future understanding that I feel the Father really added to my understanding in this study that I did for myself that has made its way onto here. Okay, so let's look at this. If you do fall feast, you already know this more than I do. Again, I'm barely learning. This is our second cycle through. 
But you basically have atonement kind of at the at the halfway point, if you will, of, of, of the the circle, we could call it, the cycle itself. And this is this is the question I begin to ask because as I listened to some messages and read commentaries and others' opinions of this to help add to my understanding, um, I found this. I found that everything was, of course, for the most part, pointing to fasting, fasting, fasting. And I just started saying, I feel like there's more to it than just fasting, which led us to the reality and understanding. And I thought, well. Okay, so people were saying, well, this, this, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is to prepare us for the return of Messiah. It's because we have to be humble in order for him to return and find us ready. Now, I understand that, but I had a problem with it when I'm looking at the, the timeline here. Because I know where the feasts fall and in what order. And so I kept saying, I'm like, but trumpets signifies his return. Trumpets declares and announces he's here. He, the, the bridegroom has come. Okay, the trumpet sounds and he comes. And, and we know, and I'm man, I'm adding this to my understanding that I was never taught in the Christian church about just the, the, the immeasurable expanse of, of what is going to happen when he comes and rules and reigns in the millennial kingdom. Nothing like I thought, you know. Nothing like I understood or was ever taught or ever even remember hearing about in the Christian church. And so as, as the trumpet blasts and, and the bridegroom comes, he literally returns to earth, of course, to rule and reign from Jerusalem. It's not going to be Washington, D.C., by the way. <laughs> but it seems that there was some reason that it fell where it did in the, in the order and so I was just asking myself, and again, to be clear and get back to my point specific, everyone that I was listening to, for the most part, was saying this prepares us. Actually, everybody I heard talk about it. And I'm not saying I'm, I've found the truth. I'm just proje- I'm, I'm presenting an idea, a possibility that made sense in here. I don't, I don't know if it'll come out of my mouth right. That why, if this, is, if this is preparing us for his return, then in the timeline of the feast, why does it seem to come after his return? The trumpet sound, as we talked about in part one, the Yom Teruah trumpet blast that says, if you have an ear to hear even, he's coming. He's, he's, he's like, right now, right now, he's coming. Here he is, <laughs> descending in the same way he ascended. <clears throat> well, I'd like to talk about that for four hours or so, wouldn't you? And so I just, I just ask myself simply, why? Why? Well, I want to share a couple thoughts because this stumped me for a couple days. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Why is it between trumpets and tabernacles? Now, I, I, I pitched this out to my son and my wife one morning at breakfast. I'm talking about some things I was studying, I don't know, four or five, six days ago. Towards this, the Ana understanding, I'm just excited. I'm telling, telling them about what I'm learning about how to, humble myself in a in this understanding as we're fixing as a family to enter into Yom Kippur and observe it and receive all that we can that the Father embedded within it for us to glean and add to our lives. And my son said this. He said, maybe it's because it will be like Yeshua came the first time. 
he came to earth, he arrived, he, he, he became the Emmanuel reality, and we know the first time he came is he came as what? The God-man through a woman, like the seed of Holy Spirit into a, a literal flesh and blood woman who produced a God-man, an Emmanuel reality. And what was he doing? He, in a sense, tabernacled with men like he never had before via childbirth in this way as an, as an infant, a baby. But when he was ready to move into the Father's plan, he told everyone who came to him to inquire of him to what? Deny themselves and follow him. Okay, so we see a premise that, that my 10-year-old son pointed out that really got me to thinking. Okay, that's the beauty of it. The, the king arrives, the master arrives. Why is he arriving? To set up a millennial kingdom. Again, we're talking, we're talking future now. We've moved past the past, Leviticus. We've moved past the present. Right now, consecrating ourselves and, and, and remembering and observing the feasts and all the beautiful layers that are within the now moment of being in the great high priest. Now we're looking forward into the millennial kingdom when, when Yeshua himself descends and begins to rule and reign on a natural earth for a thousand years and all those things it entails. Wait a minute. When he's here, what did he say? Deny yourself. Humble yourself and follow me. Okay, please listen as we want to try to make this connection and drive it home as clearly as we can. So, with this in mind, maybe the same pattern will be what is in the age that's to come, that's before us. Whether it's right here or whether it's another 500 years, which I can't even imagine, but wherever it is in the timeline of Yahweh's plan, Yeshua will return. He will return. And after his return, his called out ones must be found anah, afflicting themselves. Okay, listen to what I'm saying. They must be found when he comes and he's, he's getting ready to institute a new governmental order on this earth. His called out ones must be found humbling themselves, afflicting themselves. Why? The master's here. Our will, our ways, our governmental authority and all the little puniness that it is. No, it's got to all be surrendered and laid down every single thing to follow him into the next age. Where he will rule and reign and what? Tabernacle with men on the earth again. Do you understand this? I hope it's making any bit of a sense. And me, it's like as huge as, as the solar system all crammed into my, my body. And I don't really know how to get that across the way I, I feel it. I would propose that as a, as a thought, a possibility. As we look forward, is there something within the, the, the trumpet blast that comes at Yom Teruah and the response is, we see him, we hear, we have ears to hear. We're clinging to Father's ways. We're, we're watching the feasts of Yahweh Elohim. We know we were told he's going to come at trumpets. We knew, we knew it, we knew it would be at Yom Teruah. You told us, Father. 
<coughs> so we hear because we're watching, we're watching, we're listening, we're listening. Our ears are bent towards the trumpet blast. And so when we hear and the king comes and he descends and he says, now I'm here to rule and reign. We, in the in-between moment, we choose to humble ourselves to his governmental authority that will probably not make any sense to us. You understand that? We have this warped thinking because we live within this so-called Christian nation of what it means to be godly people. Friends, we don't know anything. We don't know anything about how to be a godly people from a national perspective. This nation is no more godly than Babylon was. Don't even get me started on that. If you watch the program, you know my feelings towards it. But we're moving towards a tabernacling with men reality where Yahweh will send his son to return back to this earth and he will only receive and take with him to rule and reign a people who afflict themselves, which I believe I'm proposing and then we'll move on is why atonement is in between trumpets and tabernacles. I think it's very intriguing. So let's move on. There are many New Testament references to the act of afflicting and humbling oneself. If you do any kind of Septuagint comparison, Greek to Hebrew, you'll see the timeline that is perpetual. Those who humbled themselves in the Old Testament, post-Yeshua, different verbiage, exact same call and demand for the ones who will follow him. You have got to anah in the New Testament. How, what, what are some examples? Same understanding of afflicting yourselves in the New Testament Greek. We'll find verses such as this. Matthew 18, whoever shall humble himself as this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humble oneself. Matthew 23, the greatest among you must be your servant. For whoever promotes himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be promoted. So here's the same same action, same function of those who are following Messiah, humbly, willingly being a servant unto Yahweh Elohim and his ways. Everyone's going to be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be promoted. Philippians chapter 2. This is speaking of Yeshua. When Yeshua appeared as a human being, he what? He humbled himself. He became the suffering servant. We know he denied himself, denied his will, did nothing but what the Father said. Did nothing but what the Father said. Friends, listen to that if you're just in the mainstream Christian doctrine understanding. Yeshua, did never. he never one time came and instituted his own will, his own way, his own ideas, his own replacement theology. He had no right, he had no authority that he took up because why? He was a humble servant who only carried out the will and way of his father, perpetuating what had always been. He did not come with new ideas, ever. We have to be careful that we don't see Jesus, a, a, a Christian American Jesus, who came and had all these new ideas to replace the eternal ways of his father. He, did ne he never, ever took that authority. What did he always say? I'm not even good. Don't call me good. My father. I'm here to be a servant. I'm here to be a servant of my master, my father. We have to understand that. As simple as that is, it's very important for us to understand. So he 
in, in, in like manner, because of that, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even unto death. Well, what, what did that accomplish? Now, we'll briefly just touch on this. Okay, we're just real short. It's, it's worth noting this, this root word for kapoor. This is why these things matter, is kaporet, which is to cover. Okay, now I put this image on here because I just love, I love the imagery of, of the eternalness of Yahweh Elohim, of how he gave us physical depictions. He gave us, I mean, elaborate explanations of, of things that were tangible items that became personified by Yeshua. And you, when you merge all those two together, it's just boom. It's like my mind can't even wrap itself around it. It's so, it's so incredible how Yahweh has done that for us. And so this, of course, sends us to the imagery of this right here in front of you, the, the ark, the mercy seat, the covering. Now, I've taught on this, holy cow, when I didn't know Jack Squat 10, 12 years ago, I remember teaching on the Hillisterian understanding of the New Testament word for uh, mercy seat, that Yeshua became our propitiation, our, our, our Hillisterian it's a beautiful understanding. Uh, Romans 3.25, Yahweh put Yeshua forward as a propitiation, a mercy seat, to use the Hebrew word, a kaporet, for sin through his faithfulness in respect to his sacrificial death. This vindicated Yah's righteousness because in his forbearance he had passed over the sins people had committed in the past. Same high priestly function, accomplished in Yeshua Messiah. I love how we can follow that from, from what was to what is to what will be. I love that. And so just look at that image of, of a covering, a caporet, a covering over the ark and presence of the Master. Okay? It's beautiful. That It's beautiful that we have that, not just that we have that, but that we have it through, through an Elohim that became a man. It's, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. All right, a couple more minutes and we'll make this part two wrapped up here. <sighs> Actually, let's end it here. We'll go to part three after this. So what we're going to talk about in the next part is a little bit of the understanding of Nefesh. We're going to move through that pretty quickly. We're just going to have one more part and then we'll be done. And I'm also going to throw a little curveball in there because we look at fasting and we look at different ways we can deny our own selves, humble ourselves willfully. It's a heart posture more than any other thing we can do. Again, let's be clear. This is the posture of our innermost place. But we're also going to talk about something that David did that's unrelated to atonement specifically, but I think will help us understand another facet of how one man has, has in, in, in the scriptures shown us that he was humbled in the sight of men and of Yahweh. And so what are we talking about? We're talking about afflicting ourselves, the purpose of, of Day of Atonement, of, of Yom Kippur, humbling ourselves deliberately. Why? So that we can be received to, to enter into a kingdom that we cannot understand, Rightly humbled, saying, you know what? I have no idea what needs done here. <laughs> my governmental ideas, my understanding of authority and how, how men should be governed, I take it all out, I lay it over here, and I abase myself 
humbled, putting myself on the floor before the King of all kings, who's coming to rule and reign as the great high priest. Beside him, afflicting myself so that I can be one invited into his kingdom. It's going to be incredible. I don't claim to understand it, but on a molecular level, but I believe it. And I'm excited about it. And I thank you for watching today. This is the Path to Zion podcast. We are rediscovering the ancient way. Go over to pathdesign.com if you want all of these things and two plus years worth of audio recordings. And of course, here on YouTube. And uh, we thank you for watching. Email us, won't you? Pathdesignpodcast at gmail.com. Reach out to us and let you let us know if there's any way we can help you. I can email these. I've, I've sent this out the other day on our Facebook page saying if anybody wants the actual study text um, for this, it has a little more elaborate than even what I cover here, I can email that. I'll email it out the same day you ask for it if you want to do that. Pathdesignpodcast at gmail.com is the place to do it. So thank you for watching. Amen.